What is a major characteristic of a revival church? Are you ready to face the truth? Face the Truth is the weekly podcast from the Truth Church of Olathe, Kansas, with our pastor and Bible teacher, Bishop Gregory Riggin. Thank you to everyone who is listening. I trust that today's episode will be a blessing to all of those who tune in. A common misconception when understanding the success of a series of revival services is that they are viewed as a standalone event. We frequently fail to recognize the ways in which God has grown the local assembly to enable a fruitful revival. However, God designed the fivefold ministry for the growth of the church. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12, it says, And he gave some apostles, and some prophets, and some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Each area of ministry contributes to the whole. In this episode, Bishop Riggin and Brother Waldrop discuss the effectiveness of ministry in a balanced church. Let me ask you a few other questions I'd like to get your input on. Talk to us about the greatest revival in modern times that you're aware of, whether it's a revival you've preached, a revival you've been a part of, a revival you know of. Now, we all know about Azusa Street. We know about the Brush Arbor Days. We know about Pentecost, the Book of Acts. But I would like for our listeners to hear stories of a revival in relatively modern times that has been of note it's been something that's beyond just having a few souls pray through here and there, you know, maybe a miracle or two that takes place. As a young man, I was in a real revival church where we had people receiving the Holy Ghost every service. But that was even a season. I often talk about that. That was a season mm-hmm. the church had. There were also times when we were losing folks. There were times when things weren't going as well. There were times when the pastor had to be the pastor and had to address situations and deal with situations. But there was a season in that church where every service, somebody was receiving the Holy Ghost or somebody was receiving a notable miracle. And that was a real season of revival. Talk to us about a situation that you're aware of that might help to build the faith of our listeners to know that those days of revival are not past us. Absolutely. In the formative years of my ministry, when God opened up the door for me to go to Tulsa right out of Bible college and be youth pastor, would have been in the summer of 1994. Where the church in Tulsa is currently located there on 71st Street and Highway 75, I believe that building was completed in late 91, early 1992, somewhere along in there. Right after they got in that building, there was some division, dissension, church problems, however you want to call it, iniquity, and there was... A lot of people that decided that they wanted to go to church somewhere else. Of course, new building where Bishop Howard's church was at that time. You know, there's mortgage payments and high utilities. And so we have more financial responsibility and less financial contributors. So a lot of stress and pressure. Been there. And so when a lot of the ones that, as it plays out, were hindering revival... 
or were going to hinder revival. They weren't going to help facilitate the will of God going forward. When they began to be moved out of the picture, that opened the door for others to start being added to. And so that process had begun probably late 92, early to mid 93. And so that had been coming around and coming to pass the year or so before I arrived as youth pastor. I can still close my eyes and remember that first Sunday morning service where God had seemingly taken all of the pieces of different churches that I'd been a part of or had witnessed, you know, growing up in the church and then other churches that I had gone to while I was at Bible college. And, you know, this is something that I like about this church or this ministry or this approach or what God was using that season to put in me, whatever. That Sunday morning, it's like all those pieces came together. It was all in one. It wasn't this church is strong in this area, but weak in this area. You know, I wasn't being judge right, right. and jury and critical. It's just that, you know, you recognize yes. that this church is strong in this area. And this church is strong in this area. Well, when we got to Tulsa, it's like, okay, this church is strong in every area. They're strong in evangelism, strong in holiness, strong in worship, strong in doctrine, strong in apostolic ministry, gifts of the Spirit. And I remember this moment of, okay, this couldn't really have told you maybe before what I was looking for because I never saw it. Right. But when I witnessed, it was like, okay, this is it. This is what I'm looking for. And it was just a culmination, again, of what I would call apostolic balance. Strong in faith, strong in worship, strong in apostolic ministry, strong in apostolic authority, strong in submission to apostolic authority, evangelism, outreach, all the components that comprise of what we would call an apostolic church, a yes. real apostolic church is a church that excels in every apostolic area right. of prayer and consecration and worship and faith and ministry and gifts of the Spirit. And so because of that, there was spiritual fertility. Yes. People would come to church and it was just there. We came to church expecting something to happen. It might happen in pre-service prayer. It might break loose during worship. It might happen during the preaching. It might happen during the altar service. It might happen while the choir is singing. But sometime or another in this service, something dynamic is going to happen. Yes. And that was probably the greatest season of revival that I've ever been a part of as far as people being added to the church, people receiving the Holy Ghost, people being delivered from drugs. Some of the, I guess, pillars in the church now and even ministers that have gone forth out of that church were added to the church in that season coming in from the world into a church that was hungry i remember one service in particular it was actually pentecost sunday and so we were having an emphasis brought in an evangelist the whole service was geared toward people receiving the holy ghost you can't do that every service but it was the thing to do this is Pentecost Sunday. We're celebrating Pentecost. And so we're just having a service where that, I mean, you want people to receive the Huggles every service, but sure. it was just, you know, an extra push, extra focus. And so songs, presentation, right. prayer, worship, preaching, ministry, everything is geared. Memory serves. There was 10 or 12 people in that one service. Hmm. 
that received the gift of the Holy Ghost. Now, again, some panned out, some didn't, sure, some sure. were in for a season, and some right. moved off, whatever. But yet, and still, you got to start somewhere. Right. It's not all about numbers, but the Bible does say that there were 120 that were right. There were about 3,000 souls added to the church. Later, in the book of Acts, 5,000. 5, yes. Later, multitudes. Right. Again, it's not all about numbers. And as an evangelist, I've had revivals in churches where it was like, okay, this is what I was there for. There were souls in the womb of that church. And I was at that church in that season for that purpose right. to help that come about. Right. We want to see People receive the Holy Ghost every service in every revival. I mean, he's not one that any should right, perish, right. but all should come. We're always reaching for souls. But it does seem that there are obviously times and seasons that churches go through where, okay, this season we're having a lot of people pray through. Well, if those people are going to stick and go beyond conversion to discipleship, there's going to have to be a season yes. of discipleship or at least something to facilitate those new souls being assimilated into the church exactly. and discipled and becoming soul winners so that they can in turn do for someone else what someone else did for them. Right. Teach a Bible study, right. offer an invitation, work with them in the altar, be a friend of them and help them become assimilated into the kingdom of God. There's been other revivals where like Brother Savala did last year for this church is to kind of get the church over the hump to build faith, to pour in salve, to help pull some things together so that later on, yes. well, Paul said, one sows, another waters, and it's God, gives God, the, gives it's the God that gives right. the increase. Right. Everybody has a role to play. As an evangelist, I could look at Brother Savala, a fellow evangelist. We have different ministries. We have different personalities. We have different approaches. But you're the pastor of this church, and just from what I understand here on this conversation that we're having, may not have had a lot of people receive the Holy Ghost in that revival, but it was a successful revival. Absolutely. It was a good revival. Yes. It was a fulfilling Absolutely. revival. Yes. And so I think a lot of times, uh, going back to the air quote quintessential evangelist, the evangelist that this particular pastor was talking about was one that typically where he went, there was a lot of people that received the Holy Ghost. Yes. Right. He had that type of ministry or priest in those churches that were ready for that went when he got there. And so we're always reaching for souls. We yes. always are. Yeah. We're not intimidated by people receiving the Holy Ghost. We want it. We're expecting it. We're believing Absolutely. it's the will of God. Unfortunately, though, a lot of times we judge the success of a revival by how many people got the Holy Ghost. That's not always the case. No. Is this a better church? Are more people ready for the rapture? You know, you could go to a church as an evangelist where there's a lot of people in that church that are struggling. Mm -hmm. People that are close to backsliding, yes. people that are struggling with carnality, people that have ought in their heart against yes. a brother or sister. Yes. Well, they've got the Holy Ghost, but they're not ready exactly. for the coming of the Lord. Exactly. And as an evangelist, you could go in and you may preach judgment, you may preach conviction, you may preach correction, and have a revival where those that have become cold and indifferent are revived. Yes. And you may have no new people add to the church. But there's many more people in that church yes. that are now ready for the coming of the Lord. Right. Whereas you go to a church where everybody in the church is ready and you have some pray through. You say, well, folks received the Holy Ghost in this revival. So that was a better revival. Well, in this revival, we didn't have as many new people added. But when that revival was over, 
there was more people ready for the coming of the Lord. Yes. And yes. so I think that's a better criteria in which comparing revivals or trying to qualify or quantify the success of a revival is, okay, we're not the judge. We don't. No. I mean, God's the one that knows who's ready and who's not. But, you know, there is evidence sure. and things that we can see and feel. Is this a better church when these series of services are over? Are there more people ready for the coming of the Lord? Is this church more effective in prayer? Is their worship more dynamic? Are they more responsive? Responsive to the leading of the Spirit, are they more leadable, if I could say it that way? Sure. Can the pastor now be more effective right. in fulfilling his role? Right. I'm far from the know-it-all or have all the answers. I'm far, far from it, but I do have the experience of observation in years of working in a local church, pastoring a small church preaching revivals in smaller churches and larger churches, preaching revivals for young pastors and seasoned pastors. And so quite an array of various and sundry experiences where honestly, some of my, what I would call effective or successful revivals weren't necessarily in what we might now call a revival church. Right. It may have been a church one revival years ago, early on in our tour of evangelizing. Probably as far as the percentage of, okay, this is the attendance of the church, and this is how many people got the Holy Ghost. That was probably even to this day, the percentage of the church growing, going from this to that. You know, It was probably a church of 30 to 40 people, but we had... A dozen or so people sure. receive the Holy Ghost right. in that revival. Right. That's substantial. Yes. That's significant. You preach at a church of three or four hundred and you have that same percentage of people get the Holy Ghost, you're going to have a hundred so revival. Yeah. Right. As far as just right. you know, the percentages yes. involved. And so again, it's not all about numbers. I'm just I'm motivated by helping people be saved. Right. Get over carnality, be better for God. Yes. Yes. And that to me kind of goes back to the analogy I used when I opened this interview that a man's role as an evangelist is either to be the midwife to deliver the babies or a marriage counselor to restore relationship. And here's what I was thinking as you were talking about it, that there are times, as, as we mentioned, now we did have some people receive the Holy Ghost when Brother Savala was here. It wasn't huge numbers, but he did so much to help the church get mm-hmm. their relationship right. Right. Well, you know, if you've got a couple, if we're going to use this marriage analogy, you've got a couple that their relationship's off. They're not having babies because their relationship is just really bad or non-existent. You get them in counseling. You get their relationship right. When you finish getting the relationship right, you don't go immediately to the birthing room. Mm -hmm. You've got the relationship right. And so now there's a process of time. But the success and the eventual birth is because this relationship was corrected back here months ago. Right. And then they're in a process, in a place where they can give birth. One other thing I want to go back to here, as you were talking about this season, when you went to Tulsa early in your ministry there and the things that happened. Now, if I understand right, right about that time, maybe before you got there or after you got there, sometime around that time period, Tulsa experienced a 100-soul revival. And then as I listened to you talk about what you experienced being there, 
that you saw that this church was not just strong in one area, they were strong in other areas. It made me think about my home church. As I said, we saw that season where we were seeing people pray through regularly. And I do believe that the same thing could be said of that church at that time is what you were saying about Tulsa. But here's what I thought about, and I don't want anybody to think I'm throwing my pastor under the bus. I'm not. If you look over your right shoulder, there's a picture of my pastor and his wife. If you look over here to your left, in the center of my display case, there's a pair of shoes belong to my pastor, and I specifically asked for shoes he wore to preach in. How beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace. And so what I see here, I'm not at all trying to throw my pastor under the bus in this situation and what I'm about to say. But I do remember a time when a missionary, traveling missionary came through, was in service with us and was overwhelmed by the power that he experienced in our church. He was in the States. At that time, we were part of an organization. The way they handled their missionary department is missionaries would go to their field of labor for three or four years Then they would come back and travel the United States for sometimes another three or four years, raising funds to go back again. So they'd be traveling the United States, visiting different churches. So this man had done this. He was a veteran missionary. He had done this many, many times. But when he showed up at our church, we had such a move of God. He was overwhelmed. And he went to my pastor after the service, and he said, what is it about this church? why is this church so different than any church I've ever visited? Explain it to me. And Elder Davis said, do you really want to know? And he said, yes, I want to know. I want what you've got. I don't see this anywhere else. I want this. Well, my pastor told him it's because of the holiness that I preach and enforce here. Now, this is where I say, I don't want anybody to think I'm throwing my pastor under the bus. My pastor was convinced that the reason there was such power there was because of holiness. And I do believe that holiness brings power. In fact, the Bible even says of the man Christ Jesus that he was declared to be the Son of God according to the spirit of holiness. Mm -hmm. So there is a direct association with holiness and power. But we're looking back, I think... There was more to it than just holiness because, Brother Waldrop, you can testify there are holiness churches that don't have that power. Right. They don't have that move of God. Where I think the power resides and the glory resides is not just in holiness, but it's in this balance. Mm -hmm. You know, we just came back from Bishop Howard's retirement service, retiring from full-time pastoring. And one thing I heard over and over from so many men that were raised under him is this is a balanced man. This is a balanced man. And now you, as you talk about arriving there as a young preacher to serve in the role of youth minister, that what you found in that church was balance. Exactly. They were strong in the word. They were strong in the spirit. They were strong in apostolic authority. They were strong in evangelism. To me, that's where the real revival spirit is born. Yes, we have to have holiness. That has to be there. But I think there's more to it than just holiness. I think it is in finding this balance. I spoke with a man within the last couple of days, and he's a minister today. He was telling me the church where I was raised, a great church, very solid in the word, very solid in the word. 
but no real move of God. He said worship was almost non-existent. Now, his family had moved to that church when he was just a small boy, but prior to that had been in a church where worship was the thing that was stressed. And he said his term was crazy worship. Mm -hmm. It was just over-the-top worship, but no real word. Mm -hmm. And then they left that and went to a church where there was almost no worship, but it was full of word. Mm -hmm. The key to me in seeing revival is to be able to strike that balance in the church, not just between the spirit and word, but in every area that is so necessary. As you said, apostolic authority, evangelism, being able to find a balance, the gifts of the spirit, finding that balance in the church is to me what gives birth to a real revival spirit. If you would comment on that. When we speak of balance, I don't want to be misunderstood here because you could be moderate in every area that we're discussing and say, well, we're a balanced church. We have moderate worship, moderate convictions, moderate, etc. And so we're moderate in all areas. Well, that's not an apostolic church. Right. When I speak of balance, I'm speaking of strong yes. in all of these areas. Exactly. And so a lot of times where we find that churches get out of balance is that they are very strong in some areas and then not as strong in others. And so it's not a matter of lessening the areas no. that you're strong in. It's strengthening the areas that you're weaker in. Right. To me, the most dynamic churches that God has afforded me the privilege to minister in are churches that are strong in the areas that matter. Yes. They're strong in faith. They're strong in worship. They're strong in their response. Again, it's not all about you know, clapping and right, shouting amen. Right. And, and in different churches respond to the word different ways. But there is a response and receptiveness yes. to apostolic ministry. Yes. Churches are like individuals. Every church has its own personality. Sure. And there are some churches that are more expressive and outgoing than others. Doesn't mean that they're better than a church that may be less expressive because that less expressive church could actually be more receptive. Sure. You know, it, it takes more to receive the word of God than just to stand and clap your hands and say, amen. Absolutely. You could do all that and not Absolutely. even really be paying attention to what's going on. Yes. The churches that I've noticed that these are the most effective churches that I've been exposed to are churches that they emphasize strength in holiness. They have strong convictions. They not only preach it, but they enforce holiness. Yes. They promote evangelism yes. and outreach and prayer. Yes. And fasting. Yes. And having a right attitude and being submitted to authority right. and getting along with your brothers and sisters. I mean, just a wholeness of apostolic doctrine. Right. And they emphasize and they promote it and they talk about it. They make a big deal about it. And consequently, it's it's in the forefront of everybody's mind. This is what we're looking for. This is what we're striving for. When these things are promoted and emphasized and enforced, people come to church and then they see the results of that. Okay, the pastor knows what he's talking about. Yes. This is not just important to him. It's important to God. Right. All of these things are a part of a fertile womb of the church. God is free to work. Right. There's no friction. There's no angst and ought. There's no bitterness and resentment that hinders 
the flow of the spirit yes the word of god speaks of unity how good and pleasant it is for men to dwell together it's like the oil that flowed down right. aaron on right. his beard and right. on his clothes right and down to the ground well the oil is a type of not just anointing but it's also the type of the spirit and yes. the flowing of the spirit the yes. flowing of what god wants to do right is hampered and hindered by disunity and yes, discord absolutely it is day of pentecost one mind one accord right we're here we're all striving for the same thing yes well they were there to get the holy ghost yes but they were there for the will of god to be done right the will of god for that time was the initial outpouring of the holy ghost yes later on the will of God was not for the initial outpouring. It was for the expansion of the church and the working of miracles and more gifts of the Spirit began to operate more right. consistently within right. the church. And so, again, going back to balance, what we're striving for when we say we want balance is we want to not just be equal in all of these parts. And our right. worship and our faith and our prayer and our holiness are all on the same plane. We want that plane to be as high as it can possibly be, we want to be strong yes. in all of these areas. Of yes, sir. It is the will of God that his church be balanced. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness is not a recommendation. It is a promise. Next week on Face the Truth, we learn about the impact of a prayer warrior. Thank you to everyone who has joined us for today's podcast. We want you to know that we are here to help you in any way we can. If there is anything we can do for you, please don't hesitate to contact us. Send your prayer request to prayer at olathetruth.com. That's prayer at olathetruth.com. If you live in the Kansas City metropolitan area, we invite you to join us for our services this week. Sunday morning at 10, Sunday evening at 6 and Tuesday evening at 7.30. For those who cannot attend, we will provide a live stream on our Facebook page, our YouTube page, and our website, olathetruth.com slash live. Until our next podcast, take care and God bless.